Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we're so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. If you have your Bibles this morning, go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and I want to encourage you, if you have something to jot down notes with, you might want to do that this morning. We're going to do some teaching today, so maybe if you take notes on your phone, you could have that out and ready, or if you have just something to jot down in your Bible or a paper, pen, you might want to get those things ready. Praise God. I'm excited about what we're going to be discussing and teaching this morning. Galatians chapter 2. For those of you that are joining us, we started a series entitled Through the Bible where throughout the summer we're going to spend time just digging into the Word of God, studying Scripture, uh, maybe letter by letter or epistle by epistle, book by book. <clears throat> and today, or last week actually, we started in the book of Galatians. That's where we're going to be. And, um, and so you could pick up that sermon last week. But uh, start with me here, if you will, in the second chapter. We're going to read the first 10 verses together. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, just as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he, was, <clears throat> for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Caiaphas and John, and they seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that, they should go, that we should go to the Gentiles as they went to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor and the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, let, let's give some backdrop. Clearly, as you study the scripture and the letters that Paul writes, you'll see that his ministry is marked by conflict. He's just constantly having conflict, folks. Um, there, there are groups of people that are rising up to oppose the gospel. That, that has been the case. That's why today you have to be very, very careful to not get too caught up in this idea this morning about po people who are currently opposing the gospel as though it's some new thing. The gospel has always been opposed. It's not new. I, I remember hearing this phrase, and I love it. It's, it's like when we talk about difficult times, when we talk about opposition, when we talk about the gospel being opposed, every Christian generation has been opposed. It's not new. It's just your turn to stand and fight back. It's your turn now. Every, every generation has been opposed. And so that marks the... The, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And of course, we're learning, and we learned last week, that there are these Jewish folks who are, in, in one measure, they're believing in Christ, but at the same time, they're referred to as Jewish legalists because they want to add, right? They want to add circumcision. Remember, circumcision is the mark of the Jew. It, it is the mark that, 
that I am a Jew, that I'm a, the people of God, and that I follow the law of God, I follow the law of Moses. And so, so that's, that's what's going on. Paul is just preaching, he's preaching salvation by faith alone, by salvation through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so what you see in the second chapter of Galatians is really two conflicts. It's, that's the whole chapter. And the first we just read, it's, it's a conflict that actually had taken place prior to it, it had happened in Acts chapter 15. If you want to jot your notes down, you can go back and read it. Paul was reflecting on, on this, this conflict that took place with Jewish legalists, and we refer to it today as the Jerusalem Council. It's in Acts chapter 15 if you want to read it. And so, so Paul basically, again, just to, uh, to, 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 to surmise it again, is Paul is preaching salvation through faith in Christ. Jewish legalists are rising up saying, yes, that is true, but you also have to be circumcised and you have to follow Old Testament law and customs if you truly want to be born again or saved. And, and so what happens is this, this comes to a head and they decide that they'll go to Jerusalem and they'll get an official ruling from the church fathers. Okay, And that's what the Jerusalem council is. And so you have James, the brother of Jesus, John, Peter, they're all there at Jerusalem and, and what we just read is Paul's reflecting on this because it's a very, very important meeting in history, in church history. And, and what happens is they all convene together and Paul tells his testimony and Peter rises up and he gives his experience of what happened with Gentiles as he went to Cornelius' house, remember, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And, and, and basically they're, they're preaching what God, they're sharing what God is doing. And now folks, if, if they would have listened, if they really would have just listen precisely to what Christ said. Christ made it very clear that this gospel was going to go to all men, right? And yet there, there are these opposers are saying, no, we just, we want to keep this as a Jewish thing. We, we want to keep this as a religion among the Jews because you got to remember they've, it's hundreds and hundreds of years that the Jews in their mind have had the corner market on God. They are the people of God. God has been revealed to them. They, so, so it, it was certainly difficult for them to think that somehow now that, that all men are going to be able to have an encounter with the living God. And, and yet that's what Peter and Paul uh, are both preaching. They're preaching the way of salvation as faith in Jesus Christ. And, and folks, the church leaders rise up and they say, this is right. This is, this is, what, the, this is what the Lord has said. He told us that this thing was going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then uttermost parts of the earth. And so they make an official ruling. And you can read that in Acts 15. And it's, it's basically it's salvation through faith in Christ. Folks, this was a vital meeting. It is an absolutely vital meeting in church history. It, it ultimately determined that Christianity would not just be a Jewish sect or a branch of Jewish religion, a branch of Judaism. That's what the... That's what the Roman government had thought, and for years. That's why there really wasn't much opposition early on, because, because the Romans just thought, ah, you know, we, they left the Jews alone. You know, they kind of had this little agreement together, and they left the Jews alone. And to them, this, this Christianity and this Christian movement was just another branch of their religion. And, and, and this meeting in Acts 15 that Paul's referring to, he's like, this was vital. And it's the reason that you're in the church today. It's the reason you and I are here worshiping in this place uh, the way we are. And no doubt the Holy Spirit was guiding and orchestrating all of the events. Would you agree? Aren't you thankful that Jews are allowed to serve Jesus? Are you thankful that Gentiles are allowed to serve Jesus? <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Because 
probably not a lot of Jews, and if you are, we welcome you. We thank you. And so what we saw last week is Paul is determined to not allow the enemy to distort the pure gospel. And thank God for that perseverance and that determination. Amen? And so, so the second conflict that's in Acts chapter, or in Galatians chapter 2 starts in the 11th verse. Let's read it. I want to, we're going to get to something important, but I, I just want to read these, both of these conflicts. The first is what happens with Jewish legalists at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Now, in verse 11, it says, Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now it's going to get juicy. Hang on a minute. We got now Peter and Paul going at it? What's up? Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were among the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, let me just stop. Remember, his whole ministry is marked by conflict. Not only is, he having, is, is Paul dealing with Jewish legalists who want to shift the gospel and taint it with, with, with salvation through works. Now you have, you have Peter who's even kind of beginning to struggle a little bit, right? And you hear what he's saying. He's like, Peter's doing fine. Peter's fine when, it's, when he's around all of the Gentiles, And we're preaching this gospel of faith in Christ alone. But then all of a sudden, because of what happened at Antioch, James and and John and some of the church leaders come to see this work of God that's happening among the Gentiles. And now when when Peter sees the the Jews, kind of the the Jewish fathers of of Christianity kind of come on the scene, he starts to shift. And now he's no longer willing to eat with the Gentiles, right? And Paul calls him to the carpet. Wow, this guy, this guy, Paul, was just full of zeal, used by God to keep some, right, to keep things healthy, to keep things on track, to make sure that we're focusing as the church on the things that we're supposed to be focused on. You know, when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking of how often, before we're too critical of Peter, let's not forget that there's a lot of Peters among us even today. That, that you, you love the grace of God when it's extended to you. You love the mercy of God when you're the recipient. But when you have to reciprocate it and show it to someone else, all of a sudden, you're not big on grace. When, when, when someone's struggling, when someone's, when someone's going through a difficult time, when they're dealing with besetting sin... When, when they're not exactly where you want them to be spiritually, all of a sudden now grace isn't that important to you. You've got to be careful because, because we're not much better than Peter oftentimes in the church, are we? 
And we got to remember that God's grace is sufficient. And if it's a true work of God, how many of you know can just say, the Holy Spirit's got it under control? And, and so, so Paul calls him out. I love it. It's, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful. And so what we get to is we said all of that to get to the 16th verse. And if you'll put the 16th verse back up, if it's there, because this really becomes the theme, the entire theme of the second chapter, and I would argue maybe even the theme of the entire book of Galatians, and that is the idea of justification by faith. And so this morning, we're going to talk some theology. And before you all get all down and upset, listen to me, theology is not bad. Theology is not negative. Theology is a good thing. What's, what's negative is when, is when we take theology. Theology is simply the study of God and his ways. How many of you think that's bad? There's nothing bad about that at all. There's nothing boring about that. But when men begin to take the study of God and God's ways and dry it up and make it dead and make it theoretical and all of this, now it kind of sometimes turns us off. But you need to know theology, right? When you were born again, God didn't say, check your mind at the door. We're not, listen, there is emotion in this thing. And there are times when you feel like doing a jig and you feel it and you feel it right down your spine and go, woohoo. And you feel it and there's a feeling to this. Absolutely. If you haven't felt something the whole time you've been serving God, stay away from me. I'm afraid. I don't trust you. There's a feeling, there's a feeling, there's emotion. God will move on your emotion. When you come in the presence of God and you hear the shouts of praise and all that, there's a moving of your emotions in your heart, right? Amen. How many of you know that's right? But there's also an intellectual portion of this thing that's okay and is important. And I'm going to say it's pretty needed today. We need to... We, we need to know some theology and we need to know some doctrine. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to learn what justification means. How many say amen? And you're excited. Now, I'm excited, Pastor, to learn about justification. Okay, so here's the, what is justification? In, in order to properly explain it, it's going to take a, just going to give, give me a minute, okay? You're going to give me a while. In order to properly explain what justification is, we first have to talk about a few other theological terms, Okay? So, so what we're going to talk about this morning, and I'm excited, listen, is this. We're going to talk about the process of redemption. First of all, what is redemption? When I use the term redemption, in the song we sang just a little bit ago, they used the word, I don't know if you heard it, but they heard the, the term ransom. Redemption and ransom are similar. Redemption is the act whereby God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to purchase us out of our sin. So, so typically when you think of redeeming something, if you're my age or older, how many of you, how many of you in the room ever clipped a coupon? What? The kids are going like, what are you? Okay, when, when, you, when, you, when you got a, 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 there was a thing called a newspaper <laughs> and, you, and you would get coupons and you would clip the coupon, you would cut them out. Like, <laughs> we literally did this. And then you would take, <laughs> you would take the coupons and you would buy the stuff and you would give the cashier the coupon and you would do what? You would redeem the coupon. So you would give the coupon 
in exchange, you would get the product. Are you with me? Okay, so the product that God was after was humanity. Humanity has sinned, and their sin has separated them from God. There's a separation. All humanity has sinned. Every one of you were separated from God. God the Father said, I'm going to get, that's my creation. I I formed them in my likeness. They're not going to remain away from me forever. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to purchase them back. They belong to me. And the way he was going to do that was sending his son, Jesus Christ. And the penalty or the coupon, the greatest coupon ever given was the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ came and he paid the penalty. And he said, now there's, this is mine. Creation, I'm coming after them. Are you with me? That's redemption. When we use that term, it's, it, could, it could be explained better, but that's how I'm explaining it. Okay? And so we're, when we talk about that process, here's, don't, now stay with me. That's a process. Now, now just stay with me because some of you are like, oh, you're already getting, you're already getting prickly. There are three things that have to happen according to the scripture in order for redemption to take place in an individual's life. Three things that have to happen. Number one is the call. Number two is regeneration. And number three is conversion. We're going to talk about all three. Write those down. The call, regeneration, and conversion. Now, in case some of you are getting, you're, you're getting upset we're going to talk about this process by process. We're going to talk about one, two, and three. But understand something. That's not how it felt when it happened to you. That, that, that it's, don't think of it in, in terms of how I'm teaching it because I'm, I'm breaking it down. But this can happen in a moment. It's going to take me 20 minutes to teach this. But it, what I'm talking to you about happens in an instant. It's, it, God is not bound. Like you, and you, you don't even have to understand it all. Right? You don't, for in order to be converted and to be redeemed or be born again and saved, if you will, you don't even have to understand any of this. It happens in a, in a moment. In fact, it happens without anything that you do. But it is important that you understand it. Okay? And so like this morning, for example, while I'm teaching, all three of these things can just begin to happen in one moment. And today you can go from spiritually lost to spiritually saved in a moment, right? But, but, but if that happens and it's real, these three things will take place. If you are truly born again, these three things have happened, okay? Now, now stay with me. What's the first? The first we're going to talk about is the call. The call of the gospel invites us to trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. With, without this call, you cannot be saved. That's the reality. The, the Bible says that without, it says that you have, you, your faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. In other words, and you say, does that mean it has to be from a preacher? No. Does it have to be even from a human being? No. There has to be some inner knowing. There has to be a moment in your life where you come to the understanding that there is a God who loves you and cares for you so much that he sent his son to die for you, right? Like, like that can happen. Like think of all the ways that God can bring the call to us. But the call has to happen. In, in fact, Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 10. You can read it there. 
And he, and he basically says, and I'm just paraphrasing, he's like, how are they going to call on someone who they've never heard about? And how are they going to believe on someone if, if they don't ever hear that they're supposed to believe on them? And then it's like, how are they going to hear if no one speaks? And then he basically says to all of us, you're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And the word preaching means to be declaring. He's not talking about preaching like I'm preaching this morning, but he's saying, how is someone going to be born? Let me just ask you this, and this is going to be a challenge. You're praying for certain people in your life. Are you certain they know the call? Are you just so convinced that they know the gospel? Or are you just so adamant at avoiding conflict? Because I'm just telling you, you're praying for something to happen, but if you're not willing to be the vehicle by which the call comes, that's a problem. It just may be that God's saying, like, I will save them as soon as you open your mouth. You keep praying, you keep asking me, you keep saying, save, save, save. I'm going, I will, I put you in their life, I put you in their realm of influence. All I need you to do is open your mouth. They have to hear the call. Because a man cannot respond to God unless he hears the call of the scripture, of the gospel. That's where life is. That, that's, that's the call of God. It's not my voice. It's not your voice. It is the gospel. And the gospel invites us to trust in Christ. So my question, are you just certain that they know? Don't be certain. Don't be so certain. Well, they believe in God. It's a, that's not the call. They believe that there's one God and they're good people at heart. That's not the call. The call is that Jesus Christ, God's son, came from heaven to earth, shed his blood and died for you because you're a sinner and you are lost and in need of a savior. But good news is Jesus, the son, came and he died. And if you'll call upon his name, you can be saved as well. Some way or another, that has to be spoken. Is somebody with me? Like, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. (laughs) I'm shocked at the confusing looks that I'm getting right now. It's a whole thing you signed up for. The call has to happen. Without the call, you cannot be saved. Makes sense, right? Because... Who are you going to call upon if you don't know who to call upon? Why would you call upon if you don't know to call upon? Right? Come on. It's, it's what Jesus said. He's like, I came, I came for those who need a physician. That's what he was saying. He's like, I didn't come for people who don't need a physician when everyone needs a physician. But what was he saying? He was saying, I'm coming to the people who are willing to hear the call. They know they're lost. They know they're in sin. They know they need a savior. That's who I came for. Everybody with me? That's number one. It has to happen. Number two is regeneration. The term regeneration is the work of God within us that gives us new life. By the way, the call has nothing to do with you. It's completely out of your hands. God will use you to do it. But what I'm saying is, when you hear the call, it's nothing. God will bring people to a place where they'll hear the call. Okay. Number two, regeneration, same way. It is the work of God within us that gives us new life. And it's regeneration that made it possible for you even to respond to the call and then ultimately to repent. This is, this is where a lot of us struggle. This is why Jesus looks at the disciples and said, boys, look, you didn't, call me. You didn't come after me. You didn't search for me or seek me. 
I called you. I came after you. And, and today, that is the act of regeneration where God, first you hear it and you, and, you, and you recognize this need of Christ. And then God begins to do a work to where you can now respond. If God doesn't do step two in your heart, you can't be saved. Well, yeah, but what if, but what if, what if the music really moves me? And then, and then the guy with the microphone says, come forward, and I come forward. Then you just came forward. Mm. That's why Billy Graham, at the end of his life and the end of his ministry, who literally ministered to millions upon millions upon millions of people, and who is credited for seeing Thousands upon tens of thousands of people born again said he believed that probably 4% or less of everyone who responded to his altar calls were actually born again. Because, because being born again is not saying, uh-huh, when the preacher says, do you agree, do you agree, do you believe? That's not it. It's, it's where your heart has been moved internally to such a degree that you 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 have to respond your your heart is burning your heart is burning it doesn't matter what anybody, you don't care what's being preached i no one in here when you were probably not when you were saying remembers what was preached you don't remember what was said you don't remember i remember at 14 and my dad jumbling through trying his best to tell me what salvation was and all of that i have no idea what he said I have no clue what he said, but my heart was burning because I can now, I didn't know it then, I can now describe that the Holy Spirit was doing regeneration in my heart. He was warming. Listen, this is, this is what Wesley said. John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warm. There, there has to be a moment where your heart is just, where you're warmed, you're drawn, and that is a work of the Holy Spirit. It has to happen. It's, it's not an emotional response. Even though it feels emotional, it is a work of the spirit within the heart. And regeneration has to happen in order for you to respond to the call and then ultimately repent. And then the third thing, the third part of redemption that begins to happen is conversion. And, and this is the one we, we tend to talk about the most. But conversion now is where there is a role that you play. Now, I know some of you are already getting all, all, the, all the Calvinists in the room are just getting all bleh, just relax. Settle down. Conversion is the moment you respond personally. And if you don't believe that you have to respond personally to be born again, you're deceived. And in fact, that's when you are born again. Not when you collectively, not because your grandparents said it or your mom asked you or or you were in church or a pastor asked you, that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. It has to be a personal decision for each and every one of us individually where you personally identify, I'm lost, I need Jesus, come Holy Spirit, Jesus, come, forgive me, save me, be my Lord and Savior. However you say it, it has to be a personal response to the call and to the regeneration that's taking place. Now, I'm a, firm, I'm a believer that you can hear the call and reject it. That's happening all the time. I'm a firm believer that you can even get to, I've seen it, where regeneration is working and the heart is warmed and people are being drawn and the, and the call is there and people resist it. 
right? And, and, and where they just are not willing to make, take that next step. That happens. But, but, but that final step is where you personally respond, you in Christ, you in the Lord, and say to God, come, I, I, I agree with this. this. This is right, and I need you to be my Lord and Savior. How many are with me so far? Say amen. Okay, so we've said all of that. Remember, we're still de- identifying and, and defining what justification is. The next step after the call, remember, the call, regeneration, conversion can all happen in a moment. So don't get caught up. And I know some of you are like sitting back going like, did that, what is happening right now? Is it the call? Is it, don't, just don't, don't do that. I'm just explaining what goes on spiritually. It happens in a moment, right? Okay. The, the next step is where we get to justification. The next step in this in total redemption is God's response to our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what justification is. Justification is God's response to the call, regeneration, and then ultimately conversion. See, this is why I said you have a role to play because you cannot be saved unless you have faith. You have to respond in faith to be saved. And then what happens simultaneously is the father then responds in, and he gives a response to your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it has to be a real response. And that's why we all struggle. Was that real? Was that a real conversion? I don't know if there was a real conversion. Only God knows. Right? But here's, here's, here's the reality. When God sees a genuine faith response to his son, his immediate response is justification. Write this down. Justification is a legal declaration by God stating that we are completely forgiven and no longer liable to be punished for our sin. Okay, so let's follow that through again. The call comes, then regeneration begins. Then you can't take it anymore and you call upon the name of the Lord, save me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I have failed, I've sinned. Just come, be my Lord and Savior. The immediate response of the Father is, totally forgiven, no longer liable for your sin. That's justification. Are you with me? It, it, it's, a, it's a legal declaration. Okay, keep your, keep your finger in Galatians. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. I'm just going to read a few, a few verses. You can, you can read others in context and make sure everything's fine. Romans chapter 8 verse 30, it says this. Moreover, whom he, capital H, God the Father, predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. So in that, in that one verse is an overview of what I just said. Everything I just said is in that 30th verse. All of it's there, okay? And, and I know everyone gets caught on on the redemption or the predestination part. Let me, let me tell you what I believe. And you can disagree and we can still have fellowship. Here's, and you can still come to this church even. But here's the reality. This is what I believe, predestined. Some, some would say that that means that God in his foreknowledge before time began predetermined 
the individuals specifically who are going to be saved. That means I got the card. I got the ticket. I don't know if you did. I know I did. I'm in. Now, everybody else, I don't know. Crapshoot, whatever. Some are destined to go to hell. Some are destined to go to heaven. That's what some kind of, there's some little bit, and that would not be a fair, they would, they would really they would really chasten me to, to say. But in essence, that's kind of what's said. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. This is what I think. Let me explain what I think the scripture is saying when it says, whom God predestined, these he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Let me, let me, let me explain. I think it's this. It was when God the Father and God the Son cut the new covenant. You see, that's an important, important understanding that many of us don't know. The new covenant, this covenant of grace, this, this covenant of salvation by faith alone in Christ is the new covenant, was not a covenant or agreement between God and man. Why? Because in order to have a covenant, both sides have to bring something to the table. Okay, and, and you and I had nothing to bring to the table. So the new covenant is a covenant between God the Father and God the Son. And there's some verses in, in Psalm that kind of relate that where we get a little glimpse into the conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And so, so let me, I'm using elementary, let me just say it this way. So this is what I think happened. This is what predestination is. God the Father says to the Son, I'm, I'm getting them back. I'm, I'm going to redeem them. And the Son says, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll be the coupon. My blood, will my blood suffice the penalty and the payment for their sin? And the father says, yes. He says, I'll go. Okay. And then the father says, okay. Then what I'll do in turn, they're cutting a covenant. This, this has nothing to do with you, but it's all about you. All driven by God's love. All driven by Christ's love for you. And the father responds and says, okay, if you'll go and you'll pay the penalty, I'll accept the penalty. But not only will I accept the penalty, I will instantaneously, the moment they respond in faith to what you have done, I will immediately render a legal judgment because I'm the judge of the earth. I'm the final say. No, there, is, there is no fight. There is no good versus evil. There is no devil in the equation. I'm God. I get the final say. And what I will do, hang on, what I will do is the moment they respond to you in faith, the moment they truly receive what you've done for them, I will render a legal judgment that will not and cannot be overturned, that they are now forgiven, but they're not just forgiven, they're righteous. Somebody say amen. That, that's what justification is. And, 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 and it doesn't even end there because, because some will say, and I maybe even said it last week, we try to define justification with this simple elementary phrase, just as if I never sinned. How many of you ever heard justification said that way? You probably heard it last week from me. It's not a good definition. It, I understand why. It's not bad, but I understand why we say it. I understand why I said it. But here's the problem with that. In, in one way, it's true. It's you're, The judge of the earth has rendered you free, forgiven. Your record is a sponge. It's gone. It's over. But the idea that it's as if you never sinned is wrong. No, 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 no. You sinned all right. 
You flat out sinned. You were wretched and vile and your, your own, even your righteousness was as filthy rags before God. You were dead guilty. Don't you forget that you were dead guilty. Don't act like it's as if you know. No, no, no. You were blatantly busted. Caught dead cold in your sin with no hope of getting a judgment on your behalf. Justification is, yes, but in spite of that, because of how they've responded to my son, I wipe it clean and it's gone and they'll no longer be held accountable for their sin. Come on, somebody say amen. But, but then it goes even one notch further as we're gonna just get ready to complete this definition. One notch further is that he says, not only are you forgiven, not only are you no longer liable for your sin, but you're also righteous. Ha! Like, isn't it enough? Isn't it enough to think that we're forgiven and that we're not gonna be punished? But then he goes one step beyond and he says, no, not only you're righteous. And so this last theological word that you have to understand comes into play and it's called imputed righteousness. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna define justification, we gotta get it all. Because the whole process of justification includes, yes, forgiven, yes, no longer liable for your sin, no longer liable for punishment, but also you've been, you've been classified from the judge of the earth as righteous. Imputed righteousness means this, the Father gives you credit for Christ's righteousness. Are you with me? Because you had no righteousness on your own. If it had been as if you never sinned, you would have had your own righteousness. Right? If you could live, like that's the reality too, by the way. If you can, if you can live without sin, you're in. Been that way from the beginning, still is. Like you can raise a child and that kid can go spotless without sin for the entire existence of their life. They're in. They'll go to heaven. It's completely, utterly, totally impossible. We all know that. They sin like little heathens, even when they're little. Little pagans. They just... It's, impu it's their DNA, right? I mean, I'm not... I know I'm... But... So it can't be just as if you never sinned. No, you sinned. You have to get to this last part of justification, and that is this imputed righteousness, which means you had no righteousness, but God the Father gives your account, just assume you have an account, he gives your account credit for the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse five, is everybody with me? Is theology okay? All right, Romans chapter four, verse five. But to him who does not work, but believes. Okay, works, faith. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, that's Christ, the ungodly, and the Father, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Do you see it? It's right there. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness 
apart from works? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David was speaking about something to come. Do you see it? In, in one place, the term that is used in the King James is reckoned. You are reckoned righteous, and it's an accounting term. It, it literally means like to, this morning you got up and you were having your coffee, getting ready for church, and you go on your internet banking, and you saw $3.65. And then you go home, and all of a sudden you see $3 million.65, and there wasn't an error. Someone just put it in your account. Hallelujah. But something greater than that happened with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, the final judge, who said, your faith in my son, your trust, you've responded to the call in a personal response of faith. And because of that, you are, your, your justification is your sins are forgiven. You are no longer liable for the penalty of that sin, even though the wages of sin is death. And thirdly, I'm going to fill your account with righteousness. Are you serious? Yeah, that's, that's what the scripture says. Go back now and look at it in the first verse. I did this on purpose. Chapter 4, verse 1. What shall, or what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about, but not before God. Or he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, he, he did some good stuff, but in the eyes of God, it's, it's meaningless. It doesn't achieve what is necessary. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Right? All of these verses are establishing what I'm teaching this morning. That, that our justification comes by faith alone. And this is why Paul is willing to even oppose Peter. The, the, Paul had an understanding of this. And so did, so did Peter, by the way. But, but, but Paul's like, we're not playing a game with this. We're not, we're not, we're not going to diminish this. We're not going to pollute this. We're not going to mix this in any way. And church, it's important for us to understand so we don't pollute or mix, add to or take away from this powerful theological understanding of justification. Because it's God who has established it. And, and, and so we see here that, that righteousness was imputed to Abraham based on his faith. Now folks, the idea of imputing is not a strange concept or a strange theme of the scripture. It's really, it's actually themed throughout the Bible. Just let me give you three. When Adam sins, his guilt is imputed to you. And, and I know sometimes some of you will read that and you get, you get upset. As a, that's so unfair. Well, guess what? If you want the imputed righteousness at the end of the equation, you got, you, you got to take the imputed sin at the beginning of the equation. Are you with me? So the Bible says that through, through one man, Adam, sin entered into man. And through the second Adam, one man, Jesus Christ, sin was destroyed. 
sin was conquered, okay? And so if you want that to be true, then you have to understand this imputing principle. Adam's sin, Adam and Eve's sin, was imputed to us. That's why, that's why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Second, when Christ is on the cross and is dying for our sins, the Bible is clear that your sin was imputed to Christ. Christ didn't sin, but yet, but yet your sin was placed upon him. That makes sense? And not only that, but the penalty for it was placed upon him. And that's what took place on the cross. And so now, through justification, we, get, we, we see that Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed on those who believe. How many are thankful this morning for imputed righteousness? <laughs> let me read. Let me read a couple verses and then we're going to close. Because that's a lot. Philippians chapter 3. Keep your finger in Galatians still. I'm coming back there in a minute. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. This is going to help you understand why Paul says some of the things he says. He says this. Yet indeed I also count all things lost, lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The reason theology and doctrine is important is because it gives you more revelation about the character and nature of God and Christ. You understand? Don't just be, don't be like, I'm saved, I don't need to learn anything else. I'm, well, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow in your understanding of who Christ is. You're, you're, you can't until you start to understand these principles like, Learning this this morning, hopefully the result of it all is a real, a real like awe and reverence of who God is, an understanding of your importance to God, right? A great defense against the greatest lies and tactics of the enemy that tell you you're unworthy, that tell you you're going to fail, that tell you you're no good. Come on, somebody. So, it's important that you understand these things. And Paul says, I'm, I'm willing to take everything that I've ever learned and count it as, as rubbish so that I can gain this knowledge of, of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In other words, Paul's like, I'm just casting myself completely upon this thing. In Romans, if you go back, one more verse and then we'll, we'll close. Romans chapter 3. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law, which is this what we're talking about, imputed righteousness, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, which is really cool. That's, in other words, he's saying like, that's why, that's why we have to be really careful. This is me talking. It's not the scripture. I know we're doing some stuff in depth. I don't, this is just me, okay? So you can take it or leave it. But to me, as I think, we got to be very careful how we live now because one day we're going to have to stand in front of some of the old saints. Some of the prophets 
Now, I'm not, I'm being, just listen, everybody got real serious. I didn't mean to make it that serious. But can you imagine that conversation? When they'd be like, he did everything for you? You didn't have to do it. You did nothing? And you struggled like you did? And I lived in the dispensation that I lived in? And I had to bring those animals and I had to come to the, I had to come to the altar and I had to sacrifice and I had to do this and I had to come to this place? Are you, tell, are you kidding me? Come on, are you, can you imagine having that conversation with the saints of old? And they're looking back and they'd be like, he did it all for you? He did everything? All you had to do is walk by faith and live by faith? All you had to do is call upon the name of the Lord? All you had to do is rely on the Holy Spirit inside of you? And you struggled? You wouldn't share the gospel with your neighbor? You wouldn't even talk about Christ and what he's done for you? What on, what? I worry about those kind of conversations. I mean, I'm still going to be in heaven. And, and I'll still go back to, you know, my home on the hill and the mansion and all of that. But come on, are you with me? In some way, that's what he's saying in the 21st verse. That's why I'm saying that. He's, listen, he says, the righteousness of God apart from the law is now revealed. Like, this is amazing. I know you've lived in it all your life. You've, you've wallowed in it all of your life. But not everyone has. It's only been for 2,000 years. It's revealed now, being witnessed. In other words, by the law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying all of those that were a part of the law, Moses and the prophets, and they're watching all of this take place, and they stand in awe. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Whom God sent for as a propitiation or substitute by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of what works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from his deeds of the law. And somebody in this room should say, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so, so all of that being said, what should our response be? Right? Because theology should, there, that's what, so that's what really, then when you start to read the letter of James, like that's why James is so adamant in his epistle, because he's not contrary He's not being contradictory and saying that somehow you can be saved by your works. But what he is saying is, if that, considering what I just taught and considering the truth of justification, you better be working. That's what he says. And then people want to say, oh, Paul and James were fighting and James was a legalist. Do you think God allowed the, the book of James to be written? And be put in the scripture? No, of course not. So James comes back with this and he says, okay, absolutely, I agree. Salvation is by faith alone. But if you truly have faith, show me your works. Because anybody who has experienced what I just taught 
I know they're working. I know they're sharing the gospel. I know they're praying for people. I know they're doing outreach ministry. I know they're willing to go to the jail and help out with outreach. And whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you need me to do. Holy Spirit, those people get up in the morning and they pray. Holy Spirit, what can I do today? Not because they're trying to gain salvation. They already got salvation. What can I do? to All that you've done for me, all that you've accomplished on the cross, all of the love that you've revealed, all of the nature of God that you've shown me, the justification and the redemption process, what can I do today? How can I honor you? How? And Paul says this in Galatians in the second chapter. He says these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, he says, I'm willing to turn my back on all of the things of the world, all of the sin, all of the old endeavors, all of the old accomplishments and put my eyes solely on Christ because he's worthy of my total devotion. He's worthy. And, and, and folks, that has to be our response this morning. We, we have, we have this freedom to enjoy. We have peace with God. We, we have this, this ability now to be all that God has determined us to be. We have freedom to do and we have freedom not to do. We have, we have freedom to do the things that God's called us to do, the works that you'll read in the book of James and other places. And, you'll, and you have the freedom to stop doing the things that the scripture tells you to stop doing, which is sin. Things that are revealed in scripture as sin, you have the freedom and the power within you to stop doing them. And Paul basically says, I'm willing to give all of it up for the excellence of Christ. Let's stand all over the building. If you want to close your eyes for just a second. I think maybe someone's here this morning that maybe you've heard the gospel presentation from scripture first time. You've heard the call. And that regeneration that we were talking about, that's taking place right now. Your heart's just fluttering and drawn and you want to, you know you got to make yourself right with God. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to know the theology. You don't have to know the terms. You just know in your heart, I got to get right with God. If that's you, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you're in the balcony, anywhere in the building, if that's you and you want to give your life fully to Christ this morning, you've never done it. Or maybe you're just away from God and you want to come home, lift your hand and let us pray for you. Anyone in this building, balcony, young, old alike, anywhere, don't leave. Don't, don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. Raise your hand if that's you. Rest of us, lift your hands to Jesus and let's thank him for redemption. Let's thank him for justification. Let's thank him for who we are in Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.